If you would, please open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. My name is Matt Brooks. I'm the senior pastor here at First Baptist Church of Broken Arrow. We are so excited to conclude a series and a study on the book of Philippians. And so we've named this series Stand Up, Stand Out, Spiritual Stability in Unstable Times. So we have been for the last 10 months, uh, almost 25 sermons in through the book of Philippians. And this is an historical moment today. It's a humbling thing to go through the Word of God together and to complete one of the greatest books in the New Testament. I praise God for this majestic text, and I pray that the truths of this text will never stop being on your mind and thus your heart, that you'll find comfort and peace that surpasses all understanding as you live out this text. Now, it's amazing to me, yep, 25 sermons, it's really, it's only four chapters, okay? 104 verses long, it's about two and a half pages in your Bible, but one clear theme, that Christ is our life and joy. Oh, the height and the depth and the breath of that truth prayerfully in your life right now. Now, So before we land this plane, close this text, uh, there are a couple of things that I want to remind us. Uh, Number one, who wrote the book of Philippians? Just kind of, you know, your pastor, it's good to know these things. You know, some guy in the 830 service said, Phil. So, okay, so let's, all right, so the apostle who? Paul. Good. Uh, A little bit here in the center row. Good, Paul. Everyone else, what's up? All right, the apostle who? Paul wrote the book of Philippians. Yes, Paul from a Roman prison, right around AD 62, historians tell us. He wrote this to dear friends and partners in the gospel at Philippi, which was 800 miles away from where Paul was hanging out in Rome. Now, why was Paul in prison? Paul was in prison because he violated a law called the Religio Licita. It was a law that stated Caesar and Caesar alone was Lord. And in light of the truth of Scripture... And the reality of who Christ was to Paul said, no, Caesar is not Lord, Christ is Lord. And so Paul, under imprisonment, was under house arrest, chained to a Praetorian guard, every day, every hour of his life, wrote this epistle, Philippians. Now, I'll remind you also historically that the Philippian church was the first church founded by Paul in Europe. He did this historically during his second missionary journey. You can read about this in Acts chapter 16, verses 9 through 40. You know, Paul was of Jewish ancestry and was arguably the most prestigious servant of Christ of all time. He wrote 13 books in the New Testament, and one historian aptly summarized Paul's life by saying this, Paul, or people, name their dogs Nero and their sons Paul. Now, an interesting side note, apparently historians remind us that all cats in antiquity were named Judas, by the way. So, okay, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. But oh, the impact that God has had through this man because of the imprint that Christ had upon his life. Christ truly is our life and joy. So before we conclude this text, I'm going to give you five primary themes that we've studied together throughout the book of Philippians. I just want to take 10 or 12 minutes here. Now it is kind of humbling and a little subtle irony that, you know, it took us 25 sermons to get to this point. I'm going to summarize this whole book in 10 minutes, but buckle up. Here we go. I'll remind you that Paul's 
personal view of life is at the heart of Philippians. It's it's almost as if 2,000 years later, Paul is right here in the midst of us, and he's saying, okay, this is what life looks like. If you're going to treasure Christ, if he's truly the supreme of all things, then this is what this means in your life. Number one, God finishes what he starts. Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, he says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That as a Christ follower, you are always in the process of becoming like Christ because one day you will be with Christ. That God in Christ loves us and leads us with the end in mind. And God has no unfinished works. You need to be encouraged with this truth. I live three miles north of here, and in my neighborhood, there's just new houses popping up everywhere. It's actually tremendously exciting about, you know, people coming in, and we could, you know, reach and multiply them to, to follow Christ, and it's just tremendously exciting. But it is humbling for, it seems like weeks and almost months, like nothing happens. So, you know, they come in, they have this bulldozer, and they're working this ground, and then, you know, two or three weeks go by, Nothing. And then all of a sudden, there's a couple of bobcats that get on this ground, and they're tilling up this field, and, you know, then nothing And then just out of nowhere, like five or six guys show up and they start laying concrete. And man, you know, they're in their boots and they got their shovels and they got these huge trucks and this crane that's dumping this concrete in. And then nothing. And then all of a sudden you come home from lunch and there's a house up. And you're like, oh, the work that they've done. How is this even possible? That's what God does in your life. I mean, it seems like some of us for years, where are you, Lord? He's working. He is laying this foundation. He is building in you by working on you. God has no unfinished work. He finishes what he starts. He perfects what he saves. And he's working in you to work through you. Why? Because God finishes what he starts. Number two, life from Christ then is a life worth living for Christ. In my humble opinion, one of the greatest verses in the entire New Testament Paul says in Philippians 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That the reality of who Christ is and what he has done completely overwhelmed Paul. So much so that he uses this term Christ 150 times in his writings. The supremacy of Christ was reflected in all aspects of Paul's life. In fact, remember what he says in Philippians 1, 3? For I consider all of these things, everything as loss. My heritage, my upbringing, my education, my popularity, my status, everything as loss. For the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul was completely dependent and driven toward Christ. He was crucified with Christ in Galatians 2.20. He was risen with Christ in Romans 6.4. All of his life was Christ. You see, nobody is ready to live until they are ready to die. For me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. This life takes nothing from us in Christ. And even when we go to leave this place, God gives us what we've desired most, Christ and Christ abundantly forever. All of life then is aligning our life toward Christ. He is our example. He is the aim of life and the greatest treasure of life. Life from Christ is a life worth living for Christ. You wanna know why? Because thirdly, 
Christ's life is the model for our life. Paul says in Philippians 2, 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, that we are to collectively embrace the Christ-like attitude of self-denial, self-sacrifice, humility as a way of life. We are to intentionally place Christ and others above ourselves. The gospel then is not just the ABC of life. The gospel does us not save us, it transforms us. It is through the gospel that God gives us himself, that he infuses us with a grace that sustains, a grace that empowers us to not love ourselves, but to love and treasure Christ as all things. And as we continue to follow Christ, we become like Christ. He does not get in the way of a moral aptitude. He's not just something that we compartmentalize Monday through Sunday. No, he's all of life. He is the way of life. For Christ's life is the model for our life. Number four, joy is a distinguishing mark of a Christ follower. In light of who Christ is and what he has done, he now empowers within us specific fruits given by the Spirit that we are to display in our lives. So much so that Paul then has the audacity in Philippians 4 to command us to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. (laughs) We're supposed to rejoice in a once in a century pandemic. Rejoice. I'm supposed to rejoice that my sales are down 18% from last year. Rejoice. I'm supposed to rejoice that I've just been given this news and I have this terminal illness that there's no cure from. Rejoice. Why? Not because of our circumstances, but because of God in our circumstances. We are to rejoice in the Lord. No wonder some commentators feel Philippians 4.4 is the theme of the entire book of Philippians. Why? Because Christ is our salvation and joy. Biblical joy, like salvation, is a gift from God, a work of the Holy Spirit. The prophet in the Old Testament was right when he says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. It is this joy that is not a fleeting emotion, not a feeling, but a permanent disposition of a Christ follower as they follow Christ. He will never leave us, never forsake us. He is always with us. So despite this awfulness, we can still have the awesomeness of joy. Joy appears 16 separate times in Philippians. Something key. The word Christ appears 40 times. I believe the Holy Spirit is sovereign in teaching us something here. That if Christ appears 40 times in Philippians in four chapters... And joy appears 16 times in four chapters. Then if we think twice as much about Christ as we do our problems or circumstances, oh, the joy that is available to us. Christ is the source and object of all joy. To have Christ is to have his joy. And oh, the goodness of God in teaching us this truth. In fact, this week I received a phone call from one of our church members and she, she'd been given news that no one wants to hear. You see, she had been for years battling through cancer and had 
by God's grace, victoriously been free from it for years. And then a couple of months ago, she began to notice some symptoms that seemed familiar. And sure enough, she went to the doctor and began to get tests. And the doctor had said her cancer had come back. So much so that it was terminal. By God's grace, she has till about Christmas of next year. And so as they began to tell their family, obviously a range of emotions was evident. And she said, my husband and I have peace. My husband and I have joy. So much so that through this entire year, we are choosing joy. We're choosing to celebrate. We're, we're choosing to have specific moments within the time we have left to celebrate what God has blessed us with and what we have in Christ. The doctors prescribed one thing, she said. We're choosing another. Who would do that? Who could do that? Only someone who has experienced a love and a mercy and a grace and thus a joy from above. A love and a grace and mercy and joy that has no end, just a beginning. That is more than an emotion more than a feeling, but as a permanent disposition of who she is in Christ. You see, when life brings you troubles, and it will, you respond with his joy. Fifthly, God's riches in Christ are as, as, as expansive as his glory. Look at verse 19 in Philippians 4. And Paul says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That Paul reminds us that God promises to all who sacrificially give their life completely to him, God will in turn provide for the needs of his people. That we are to, as a way of life, to stand firm, to rejoice in the Lord, to pray to God with anything, to specifically ask him for one thing, to praise and give thanks to him in everything. Why? Because he will meet our needs. He will not leave us or forsake us. No time, not one instance is greater than our God. It's this promise that seals this beautiful chapter in Philippians chapter four. Paul reminds us that just as God has lavishly provided the power to change our hearts in Christ, that he promises to abundantly meet our needs through Christ. In fact, one historian is right when he said, you wanna know Paul's fitting summation of generosity? Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That God has already lavishly blessed us with his best in Christ. The overflow is a continuation of God's grace through Christ that has no height 
that has no end. This point is so life transforming, it is no wonder then that Paul begins to conclude this chapter with glory. And before we study that, I want to remind you that Philippians 4, verses 14 and 19, is one of the most important chapters on generosity in the New Testament. And I'm going to save this text for a series that I'm doing on generosity in September called Blessed to be a Blessing. You don't want to miss this. So I'm going to save this text for a series in September, and I want to conclude what Paul's final point is in verses 20 through 23. And the one thing I want you to get for your walk into your life is this. The Christ-filled life is a grace-filled life. The Christ-filled life is a grace-filled life. Look at verse 20. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul has been building to this triumphant conclusion in this entire chapter. And that is why he gives us these startling commands to stand firm, this breathtaking command to rejoice in the Lord always. Why? Because the end of life is not ourselves, but God. What we understand of God determines the way we live for God. And immediately following a communication of one of the most profound biblical truths on God's sufficient generosity towards us in verse 19, Paul erupts into this doxology of praise. The truth of who God is in Christ and his abundant provision to us through Christ, the only logical explanation to Paul is glory. Glory to God the Father. You see, true worship is always like that. True worship comes from responding to his truth as truth produces worship. The more we know about God in Christ by the Spirit, the more we realize God is our greatest need. In fact, this word glory here in verse 20, it can mean opinion. Paul is saying here, in my greatest opinion, through learning and living life, through, yes, robust theology, through specific training, through living life, the high times and low times, that all of life is in glory to the Father. That as God's truth continues to occupy our minds, it ignites in our soul a response to aim our life to glorify God, to centralize our worship to glorify God. To allow truth to find its summit in the person of Jesus Christ, who the greatest glory we can give to God is by worshiping Jesus Christ for who he is, the way, the truth, and the life. In fact, the great theologian A.W. Tozer was right when he says the essence of all idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of him. That is why we are so prioritizing the word of God in everything we do. It is a truth from God that sets us free to God. For the object of all biblical knowledge is to allow people with all that they are to personally worship God for all that he is. It is in the word of God that we find the God of the word. It is in the word of God that we find the summation of God's glory through God's Son. It is through the grace and mercy of God's Son 
on what he has done on our behalf that we humbly fall upon the Lord and say all of life is for you and you alone. All glory to you forever. At conversion, this Holy Spirit ignites in us an unlimited love for God the Father. Where once we loved ourselves, now by God's grace, through God's Son, by God's Spirit, we love the Lord. We have a desire to choose to not worship ourselves, but to worship God in Christ. And it's through that personal relationship with Christ that now we live a life of glory, not for us, but for God. That is why over 400 times in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, it's simply the phrase, thus saith the Lord appears. Even within the confines and conscience of the biblical writers, 40 of them in totality, they said, all you need to know in its highest content before the Lord is God said. God has revealed. There is no higher content than God himself. That is why Christ, the word, has displayed the very glory of God. Glory from God the Father, Jesus says. Remember what Christ says in John chapter 10, verse 30? I am the Father, our one. He who has seen the Father has seen me. To know and believe in God's Son is to know God the Father. No wonder, Paul then says, and bring glory forever and ever, amen, to God our Father. Notice how intimate this is. Now, this is something interesting. Did you realize that God is never classified as Father in the Old Testament? Not one time to an individual. Not one time does God the Father being classified as an individual. Not one time, but yet 40 times in the Gospels, Jesus Christ calls God Father. Here's my point. Jesus changes everything. Jesus truly is the way, the truth, and the life. To know and believe in God's Son is to know God the Father. May we bring glory forever and ever to Him. Amen. Literally, be the glory that rightfully belongs to God unendingly to the ages upon ages. So let it be so, is Paul's point. No civilization has ever risen above their idea of God. And that is why God in his goodness has not just displayed his glory by his divine presence in the Old Testament, but through his divine word by his son. Jesus Christ. I was thinking of this text, and I was thinking of one of my favorite composers, Johann Sebastian Bach. And this, this brilliant composer, just immensely gifted, struggled mightily early on in his life about doing everything he could to the glory of God. He knew God had given him a profound gift. He knew that he wanted to make an impact. But if he wasn't careful, this would have been about him and not God. And so Bach, as a way of life in everything that he ever composed, he wrote these three letters at the bottom of each letter, or at the bottom of each work, S-D-G, sole de gloria, for the glory of God alone. And that's exactly Paul's point in Philippians 4. 
that we are to give God the glory ascribed to only him as God. That the ultimate purpose and effect of all of our human endeavors is to glorify God. Paul just says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, whatever you do, whatever you eat or drink, give glory to the Lord. Glory in Philippians is seen by a Christ follower who continues to follow Christ by worshiping Christ as the way of life. To do it joyfully by standing firm, standing out, rejoicing in the Lord in light of what he has done through Christ. You were saved in Christ by God's glory to worship Christ forever. Thus, the greatest and highest form of glory we can give to God is to fervently and faithfully follow his Son as a way of life. The Christ-filled life is a grace-filled life. And you almost want Paul to end this book right here. But he doesn't. In fact, in the very next verse, he gives the 19th and final command of Philippians. He says in verse 21, And greet every saint in Christ Jesus. And the brothers who are with me, oh, they greet you also. Now, why would Paul include this? I mean, he just has this beautiful crescendo of God's glory. He's going to end in this exclamation point of God's grace. Why include this point right here? And greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Affectionately, greet every individual saint. It's his point. Everyone who's digitally following Christ. You want to know why Paul includes this? Because Paul, like Christ, are you ready for this? Never ministered alone. In fact, in Acts, there are over a hundred different Christians associated with Paul in his ministry. Furthermore, in Romans, in my humble opinion, Paul's most profound work in the New Testament. Did you realize there's 16 different friends that helped Paul in his ministry in Rome? In the book of Colossians, a book that we'll prayerfully study together in 2023, there are 10 separate individuals mentioned in the book of Colossians that helped Paul. Paul's point is that if you're going to stand firm, that if you're going to rejoice in the Lord, that if you're going to come to God with anything by prayer, if you're going to supplicate, give him just one thing, if you're going to do it with thanksgiving, thank him for everything, then you have to understand that God is going to meet all of your needs abundantly in Christ. Verse 19. He's going to meet your needs. And thus, glory belongs to God and God alone. It is not us who does this. It's God. And in light of that truth, then we are to display his glory by an appreciation in a lifestyle that is lived out not for us, but for God and others. That if we are truly like Christ, if we're truly like he, the we must be greater than the me. And that's why he uses this affectionate term in verse 21. And greet every saint in Christ. Jesus, Paul knew the power of hello. He knew the impact and imprint that you can have on someone's life by just saying hi, by just checking in on them. Who is it this week that God's placed in your life? You need to send a quick text to, hey, man, just checking on you, checking in on you, just, just wanting to, to, to greet you once again. Hey, 
God's for you. You matter. He loves you and I love you. Who is it that you need to send an email, email to? Just, hey, you know, just, just want to check in on you. Just, just want to make sure, hey, that it's the summertime. And, hey, man, just God put you on my mind and heart. Just want to encourage you. Who is it you can take three to five minutes and just give a phone call to? Just allow the Lord through your voice to bring joy and encouragement to them. I mean, who can you reach out to today that may change their life for tomorrow? Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. This word saint here is a favorite term of Paul's. He uses it for God's people over 60 times in his writings. It's a word that means set apart ones, ones who live a holy life. Its greatest application is one who is set apart to God. A Christ follower is set apart to Christ for his purposes. And we're to greet and encourage all of those who are living for Christ. We're full of God's grace and goodness through Christ. For the Christ-filled life is a grace-filled life. And Paul, in verse 23, ends as he began Philippians 1 with grace. Paul reminds us that just like our lives were before Christ, they'll end with Christ. All of life is a means of God's grace to us. And that's why Paul says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Literally, may God's unmerited, unlimited, unconditional, freely given favor rest always with you, is his point. Paul ends all of his letters the same way, reminding us that the Christ-filled life is a grace-filled life. That grace is amazingly awesome. The grace displays God's one-way love toward us through Christ. That it is the attitude and disposition of God to freely love us in Christ, to immeasurably be for us through Christ. It is God's grace that is not just a past reality in our lives. It does not just save us. It transforms us as a future fact of who God is and promises he will be through Christ. You see, before Christ, our master was sin. We loved ourselves. We were consumed with what was best for us. We were fulfilling our own mission as best we could. But then it was grace that began to open our eyes toward Christ, that satisfied our hearts in Christ, and that set our lives toward Christ. It is this grace now that compels us to be who we really are before God. You do not have to hide, you do not need to run. You can be who you are before the Lord. And you can confess upon him through his love that I once was lost. I was blind, but now I see. And the moment that I see you, and the moment that I feel you, 
And the moment that I begin to live for you, all of life comes in to focus. And I find that in my life, that though my performance falters, that though my energy wanes, that though my heart begins to wonder, your grace sustains. Your grace, like the sun, provides warmth and light and leads me to a Christ that's greater than I could ever possibly imagine. Because, God, you are for us. You will never leave us. And you will never stop loving us. May this grace, may this unmerited, unlimited, unconditional favor be yours all of your life, Paul says, as you continue to follow Christ. If my life is truly given to Christ, then surely his grace and joy is given to me. A grace that is bigger than my failures. A grace that goes back further than my shame or frustration. A grace that will go farther than I can possibly imagine because it has no end, just a beginning. And thus we stand up, stand out, because Christ himself stood for us. It is this reality that now we live our life, not by fear, but by faith. Not with anger, but with joy. And with a grateful humility that just like Christ gave his life, we are to give our lives. And in giving our lives to Christ, he gives his life to us. Oh, what a life. Oh, what a life in reality that God finishes what he starts, that life from Christ is a life worth living for Christ, that Christ is the model for our life, that joy is the distinguishing mark of following Christ, and that God's riches in Christ are as expansive as his glory. Oh, beloved, fill your life with Christ. And may his love and grace and mercy be full in you. Because the Christ-filled life is a grace-filled life. I had a dear member who has been through a lot, a lot in this life, come up to me after the 945 service and say, Pastor, I hate it that the book of Philippians ends And I told her, you know what, I do too. But the intent of the book of Philippians was never for us to finish Philippians 4 and say, well, that's it. But was rather to remind us that this is not the end, but just the beginning. You see, we've studied, and we've heard, and we've learned, and we've been convicted, and I pray inspired and empowered to stand up stand out and to be full of God through Christ. And may his fullness be all the joy we need to get through life. For the Christ-filled life 
is a grace-filled life now and forever. Oh, he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Praise God.